Welcome to our show, Holding Ground. My name is Laura Richer. I'm a psychotherapist and the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. Each week, I'm joined by another therapist from the Anchor Light team to tackle important topics in mental health and psychotherapy. Our goal is to promote well-being by normalizing mental health challenges. We are here holding ground for you every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on KKNW. Welcome to Holding Ground. This is Michelle Mooney, a psychotherapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. Today, I'm joined by our newest members of the Anchor Light family, licensed psychotherapist Kat Carson and McKenna Philobom. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Welcome, McKenna. Thank we're, you so much, Kat. Happy we're to happy here. to have you. Thanks. Um, I just want to remind everyone that we're here live on 1150 AM talk radio, but you can stream the show anytime on the KKNW website or just search Holding Ground on iTunes, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. And be sure to check us out on our social media profiles on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for even more awesome, positive mental health content. Awesome. So today our show, we are answering all the questions from the week that we got from listeners around what to expect in couples therapy. Things like, will my therapist take sides? How do we handle problematic relationships around and, you know, ones that our kids might be involved in? What if there's DV in my relationship? So thank you to everyone who submitted questions and you can send questions anytime if you want to hear them answered on a future show. Just email them into holdingground at anchorlighttherapy.com. So McKenna, welcome to the show. Welcome to the practice. So why don't you tell us a little bit um, more about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Michelle. So um happy to be here. Um, I am a marriage and family therapist here in Seattle. And um, my previous work has been uh, with Navos, which is an agency that serves families and children. Um, I've done some work with Seattle Public Schools, Highline Public Schools, um, and Child Haven here in Seattle, working with families and kids. Um, I'm also a Gottman therapy trained therapist. So enjoy working with couples. um, And I really like working with families, couples, kids and teens, and just helping all of those folks navigate relationship challenges and um, improving relationships. That's so great. Yeah, you definitely are, um, you know, have a different, um, uh, I guess, breadth of, you know, clients that you work with and people you want to work with, children, family, that's, you know, newer to our practice. And Kat, you know, you were the first one who started doing that with us. So that's very exciting to have both of you here. And I think it's also pretty cool. We all come from Navos Roots. We all interned there. Um, yeah. So I didn't know you two, but I think you two knew each other. I think I was a class ahead or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think that's Really great. Um, So, okay, let's jump into our first question. So our first question is, how do I know if it's time for relationship or couples therapy? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and take that one. Um, So, you know, a lot of people, I think, um, view relationship therapy as some sort of last resort. Um, You know, they, they sort of wait until things are, you know, in a state of high crisis in their relationship um, until they reach out for help. Um, And that might be because they feel like they should be able to handle it on their own. Um, They think that, you know, it means that there's something wrong with their relationship if they need help navigating things. Um, 
And it's true that as relationship therapists, we do have a lot of people arrive at our doorsteps who are in a high level of distress. But um, for so many of them, I wish that I'd had a chance to work with them earlier in their relationship mm -hmm. before their dynamics became ingrained and kind of problematic. And so um, I love it when I get people walking in the door who are you know, newer in their relationship, who are maybe setting out and who just want to set good patterns and good habits, um, or who, you know, maybe come and say, hey, you know, I grew up in a family where I didn't really have a great example of how conflict should go, or, um, you know, my parents had some problems and I just want to, you know, I'm, I'm starting out a new relationship and I want to kind of make sure that I get off on the right foot. And so that's also a really great, a great time to start out in relationship therapy. Um, but, uh, you know, some, some signs that you might want to go ahead and talk to someone um, are if you and your partner are feeling disconnected, um, if you're experiencing an increase in conflict in your relationship, or maybe you're avoiding conflict um, because you don't really know how to manage it in a healthy way. Um, maybe you're having trouble setting goals together or having kind of a shared vision for what you want um, or seeing each other's point of view. Maybe there's sex problems in the relationship and, um, and you, you know, your sex life has changed or you're not able to talk about it. Um, so yeah, all of these are really good reasons to, to go ahead and reach out to someone for help. I think that's great, Kat, especially the piece about, um, you know, or couples coming in earlier on in their relationships. I see, um, you know, a good portion of folks, you know, they just got engaged, they want to get off on the right foot, right? So they have a healthy um, set of tools that they can carry with them throughout their relationship. And a lot of folks, yeah, like you said, don't feel like, oh, I have to do it now because everything's fine. But really, it just sets a table really nicely for a, you know, healthy relationship. So great. Um, Okay, so let's see. Our next question from our listener is what, uh, I'm sorry, when is couples or relationship therapy not indicated or as a good idea? When is it not a good idea? Um, so there's some situations where like when there's active domestic violence going on, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, I think, um, where to where couples therapy is not kind of like the first line of treatment. And there's, there's other times when, um, you know, you might start out working with a therapist and they might decide that um, individual work is really what needs to happen first. <clears throat> and that can be when, for example, there's untreated mental illness in one or both partners. Um, and so it's something that's really important when you're doing relationship work or partner work is that each person really needs to have the skills to kind of stay regulated within themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as, as we all know, sometimes when you're interacting with a partner, things can get really heated, things can escalate quickly and, you know, people can push each other's buttons and 
Um, and if people don't have the skills to kind of um, control, stay, stay in control of their own feelings and reactions, then it can be really hard to do the work of, um, of parsing through what's going on in the relationship. So there's sometimes like, particularly if someone has a lot of trauma and gets very triggered and like um, dissociates or, um, or, you know, has other kind of mental health symptoms that need to be treated or, or brought under control, then it's really important for each of those members of the couple to kind of deal with those things first and get stable before the relationship can be addressed. Yeah, really great points. I think, especially with the trauma piece, um, that's very important. Cause like you said, there's all these triggers there when, you know, we're working with clients that have trauma and, you know, their partner can very well tug on those triggers, not intentionally. Right. But if you have trauma, you're brought right back to that place of, you know, the thing that originally made you feel that way. And then that of course, um, filters into how you respond to your partner at that time. And so, yeah, doing some individual work there is great. And also, um, addictions as well. So if one of the partners um, has some sort of substance use or a process addiction, um, that's also a really good thing for that person to focus on for themselves and then maybe do couples therapy um, a little bit later. So yeah, that's really great. That's, that's um, such a great point. I mean, um, yeah, you know, I think a lot of times people come into couples therapy because there's something going on like, you know, one partner is drinking really heavily or, um, you know, there's some kind of substance related issue that is causing a lot of problems in the relationship. And, but it's sort of like that, that issue has to be dealt with first before the deeper relationship issues can really be tackled. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's such a good point, Kat, too, because when there are things like DV or uh, active addiction going on in a relationship, um, one of the things that therapists are thinking about when you're coming in with your issues is, am I going to be putting one or both of these partners into an increasing area of risk? And sometimes when we have undealt with trauma or we have um, violence in our relationship that hasn't been dealt with properly, it actually can create more problems for the couple than they had when they came in. Yeah, we do not want to do that. That's right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Great. Great. Okay, so I can uh, go ahead and ask the next question from a listener we have. Such a salient question right now. How has COVID affected couples, uh, couples and couples uh, groups coming into therapy? Um, has it impacted what we've been seeing in the office here? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. So um, for me personally, yeah, I, I, there's such an increase. I mean, in general, folks see, seeking out therapy, but in particular couples um, right now, because, you know, we're doing everything under one shared roof right now for a lot of people, right? If we're both working from home, we're both trying to educate our children, we're both trying to just manage daily household tasks, right? So every role we have in life, we're in the same space doing that, right? So that that's created a lot of... Um, issues or insights in relationships with couples. So, you know, I'm around Fred all day long now and I realize he has 10 new, you know, habits I never even knew he had. And now, you know, I don't even like him anymore. You know, that's an extreme example, but um, you know, and it, it's just a lot of tension and stress right now, um, you know, in the world and um, how this is affecting families and couples. So definitely a lot more couples coming into um, 
therapy, which is great. I'm glad that they're making that choice. Um, and a lot of couples are surprised to hear, oh yeah, COVID is really doing this to other people too. So um, yeah, it's a very, it's a very normal experience right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also that people, you know, used to have these big full lives where they went into the office or they saw, you know, they had a big social life and for people who are in relationships, all of a sudden, maybe they're, um, you know, all they have right now is their partner, significant other. Um, and like, you know, maybe they're suddenly spending all of their time in a studio apartment together. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, with no one else. And that puts a lot of pressure on, you know, on two people because you know, we don't often enter into a relationship expecting to be everything to each other, right? Right, um, Kat. And it's that's really only been a social phenomenon that's happened in the recent history, too. You know, it used to be that we worked and lived in groups and had a lot of support around us. So the notion that your romantic partner um, is everything for you at all times is already such a high standard to you know, even achieve um, in pre-pandemic times. So true. But then when you literally lock, locked, lock people in a house together for a year and a half. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) So that's not a good idea. (laughs) I mean, I just want to say to everyone who's like really feels that, you know, their person is getting on their nerves a little bit right now. (laughs) I want to say that that's okay. (laughs) absolutely you have earned that (laughs) yeah okay so I'll go ahead and take the next question um also so important uh a listener writes in what if me or my partner had an affair Ooh. I'm not sure if they mean what if they come in for counseling but I mean that's a lot to unpack right there yeah so um I will take that um I want people to know that, well, first of all, go ahead and listen to our podcast episode about affairs, number 32. Um, we have a lot of good info about that. Um, but, you know, we, we see this a lot. And um, I, I want people to know that this is something that people can get through and heal from. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the thing is usually before something like this happens in a relationship, there's sort of some breakdown that happens first and some disconnection that happens. And so in working with a couple that in which there's been an affair, there's sort of a a process of, um, of triage that has to happen of, you know, um, what's the impact of the infidelity? Um, what, you know, what boundaries were violated? What is the effect of that? Um, and then also, you know, were the boundaries clear um, to begin with? And was everyone on the same page? And um, what was the state of the relationship at the point where the violation happened? And um, you know, it, it oftentimes calls for like a really honest look at everything and, and it can be hard work. Um, but oftentimes if people are willing to do that work, 
um, the results at the end can be a stronger relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And I hear so often from my couples too, I can't believe we're still dealing with this. It's been three years. It's been five years. When are they going to move on and get over it? And I think another important thing for people to realize is that, you know, our notion of healing from trauma and grief, it's, there's not an end date and you, you might have to do that work for many years and you might have to apologize more than you think you should. Um, and to just check in and, uh, remember, you know, those boundaries and where that hurt is coming from. And it might take a while. All right. So this seems like a great time to take a break. And when we come back, we will answer more of your questions. And if you like what you hear so far, be sure to visit anchorlighttherapy.com slash get started to schedule your own 20 minute complimentary consultation with one of our skilled couples therapists. We will be right back. What do trees make you think of? Life, longevity, health? There's a reason for that. They're the building blocks of our ecosystems, capable of restoring land and environment while creating stable food systems and economic opportunity. At Trees for the Future, for 30 years, we've worked with smallholder farmers in developing countries to establish sustainable agroforestry methods. Where there was once deforestation and poor agricultural practices, there are now thriving microenvironments we call forest gardens, made up of more than 50 species of trees and dozens of shrubs, fruits, and vegetables. Through Trees for the Future's forest garden approach, thousands of farming families have successfully brought their land back to life. A sustainable solution to hunger, poverty, and climate change, sponsored by Trees for the Future. You're invited to join the movement at trees.org slash radio. Thanks for tuning into our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m., Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Burning fossil fuels creates harmful air pollution that can worsen lung disease, heart disease, and other health conditions. The consequences can be dire. A new study estimates that air pollution from burning fossil fuels caused 8.7 million premature deaths worldwide in the year 2018 alone. That's almost one out of every five deaths that year. We're showing that there is an immediate impact, a public health emergency. That's Eloise Murray of University College London. She was part of a team that used global atmospheric models to map local air pollution caused by burning fossil fuels. Their analysis included power plants and other emission sources, including vehicles, trains, diesel generators, and coal used in homes. And they drew on the latest epidemiological research, which allowed them to improve upon previous estimates of the health consequences of all that air pollution. Murray says their findings reveal the enormous cost, in human lives, of continuing to burn fossil fuels and underscore the need to transition to cleaner sources of energy. There needs to be a far more urgent response to our dependence on fossil fuels. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. 
Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Holding Ground. Um, we are here today answering your questions about couples therapy, and we'd love to answer more listeners' questions at some point in a future show. So be sure to email those questions to uh, holdingground at anchorlighttherapy.com. So let's just jump right back in with more questions. Okay, Michelle, I have a good one here. Um, how do I know if a therapist is a good fit for me and my partner? Um, I can take that one. Such a great and important question. Uh, and I just want to start by saying, you know, you deserve a therapist. That's a good fit. Uh, not every therapist is a good fit for every client and couple. And it's really important to find that out early on. Um, so some pointers for making sure that you have a therapist that's a good fit for you is, um, you can stop and th ask yourself questions like, what is this therapist's approach? Uh, there are a lot of different styles to therapy out there, many different ways to build relationships. Um, so are you a person who is looking for someone who's more directive? Uh, would you prefer someone who's a little less directive? Um, does their style and does, does their skill set fit your needs? Have they you know, worked with your particular issue before? Um, Certain approaches, for example, might be more goal-oriented or they might have you doing things like um, doing homework together, setting projects, um, while other approaches that are more person-centered might just be more exploring what brought you in and helping you learn some tools to guide you to your own solution. Um, now, both methods are effective. It just depends on you and what your desires are and if it, you're compatible. Um, another thing to think about when you're finding a therapist is, um, are you compatible? Can you see yourself sharing intimate details with them? You know, this is a special, unique relationship and they're going to be hearing details of your life that you normally aren't sharing. Um, so can you form a good relationship with this person? Now that doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to like what your therapist has to say. Um, right. There probably will be times when you don't like working with them because it's hard. <laughs> it's hard work and it can be painful, right? So more important is to think to yourself, well, does this person have respect for me? Do they get me? Do they get my issue? Um, this relationship isn't a friendship. It's a working relationship. And if it's working well, it should feel warm and productive. And um, you you should be able you know, to find that for yourself. Um yeah. And then, you know, has this therapist worked with your particular issue before? Do they have experience in this area? Um, you know, not all therapists have been trained in couples counseling. So it's important to ask them in front, you know, what kind of couples work have you done? What training have you received? Um, and the main question to ask is always just, can I see this person being helpful to me? I think that's a great answer. I really do. And, you know, one thing I want to say is that I think a lot of people don't know that they can let a therapist know if something lands, doesn't land right with them. Right, 100%. And that that can be so useful 
for the therapeutic relationship. Absolutely. I really like to invite feedback into my sessions, Kat and Michelle. I don't know about you, but I, I love to check in with my couples and ask them just that. Does that make sense for you? Am I getting this right? right? Um, is this resonating with you? Because if I'm off base, I definitely want to hear about it. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And, you know, and that raises a good point too, is, um, you know, if you don't like your couples therapist or your therapist in general, you know, let us know, you know, find somebody else that you think is a better fit because, you know, our feelings aren't going to be hurt if you, you know, aren't getting what you need from our time together, because we want you to get what your needs met in couples therapy or individual therapy. So if you need to move on and seek out somebody else, right let us know that same way. Let us know if something doesn't land well in session. Such a good point. Um, okay, well, let's see. The next one I will ask is, um, how long does couple therapy take? So I get this question all the time when I'm doing consultations with couples, you know, well, how long is this gonna take? You know, how many sessions should we book? Should I see you every week? Should we see you every month? You know, whatever it is. So that's always, a, you know, one of the first questions people ask. Um, I think I can speak to this one a little bit and, you know, it might not be as concrete as people would like, but um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, generally it takes as long as it takes, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's no, unfortunately, there's no cookie cutter answer, but um, uh, you know, there's, there really is a range and generally how I like to um, work with couples is or you know um, relationships is have a joint session to begin with to find out you know what's going on and meet both of the partners together um, and then have individual sessions with each partner to kind of get their own individual take on it um, and then you know kind of bring bring them back together and try to see some of the dynamics that I've heard about that they're talking about that might be problematic and um, try to begin to understand kind of what's going on in the system of this relationship. Like what are the underlying issues that maybe need to be dealt with and handled and um, you know, that might involve um, determining the attachment style of each partner, it might involve, um, you know, unearthing deeper issues or talking about family of origin issues, you know, from each partner. It might, it just, you know, it's like you don't really know what direction that's going to go in. Um, and until you start really looking at what's going on. And sometimes, you know, a couple will come in and they'll say, we have this very specific issue of um, there's this, you know, we need to learn how to um, communicate better in this one very specific way and we need tools. And, you know, they can come in and meet for five sessions and sort of learn how to do active listening and, um, some very basic relationship skills that really help them solve their problem. And um, they can take those things and roll with it and then maybe come back once in a while for a tune-up when they need it. Um, so that's a possibility. And then some couples find that, you know, they do, they work for a couple of months um, and then they really want to keep at it because they feel like it adds a lot to their relationship. Yeah. 
It's such a good point. I mean, it really just highlights, Kat, you're doing such a good job of explaining that couples are just very unique. You know, there is no one size fits all answer to this. And it really depends on your history, your context, what you're bringing in to the room, what you're willing to do, you know, and all of those things really do determine how long the process takes. Right. Um, so I can, this falls nicely into the next question here. A listener writes in, will our couples therapists take sides? Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'll answer that one. So that is a common question, but I think it's mostly uh, more importantly than a question people ask at consultation is it's something that prevents them from even seeking out couples therapy. So, oh, well, you know, my wife's mad at me and she wants to do couples therapy. So she's going to bring in a therapist to also tell me that I'm doing things wrong. Right. So that this can be a fear and, you know, for, for either side. Right. Um, but um, so this can be something that really prevents people from coming in because um, they, <laughs> they don't want one more person telling them they're doing something wrong. Um, so um, no is the answer. So, you know, when we see individual clients, that's our client, right? When we see a couple, the couple as a unit is our client. So we don't take sides. Um, we do honor space for each person to get to share, you know, equally, make sure they have their time, make sure they're, they actually are feel heard by their partner, right? Feel like the skills are working for them and practicing these things together. Um, again, making sure each person has the right amount of time and showing empathy and validation for either partner throughout the process. Yeah, it's true. And you know, and there there will be times when your therapist, when you might feel like your therapist is more aligned with your partner than you, or vice versa. And again, you know, it's, if you have a nice functioning relationship, you can, should feel comfortable to, to bring those things up with your therapist too. And, you know, something I, I like to say, I mean, so, okay. I think the thing about it is that if your therapist has a really good grasp on what's going on, there are no sides mm -hmm. um, because um, if we have sort of like figured out what's going on in the whole system of the relationship, you know, there are no bad guys. Everyone is really doing their best and there's just some things are not landing right. You know, there's some kind of dynamic where both of you are trying to get your needs met and doing your best, but you're at cross purposes with each other. And so it's causing conflict instead of harmony. And, um, our job is to sort of figure out why that's happening and help you get on the right track. And so while we might point out, you know, the things that are not working, um, it's not because anyone is wrong. It's because it's not serving the higher purpose that you're after. So I want to dig into our mailbag here a little bit deeper because I want to make sure we get to some really important questions today. We have a lot. We will get to them on future episodes, but a couple that I want to make sure we ask today um, is uh, the first one is for either Kat or McKenna, if you both want to chime in because you work with children um, and couples as well. Um, how does my poor relationship affect my children? Uh, do they really know what's going on? Are they even going to remember this? Um, that, that's a really good question. That is such a good question. Um, and in short, um, I'll just answer by saying, yeah, they, they know. Um, even if you, even if you, 
think you're doing a really good job of, you know, saving that fight until after bedtime. They are such uh, sponges for our, for our energy and they can tell, they can tell when there's tension and they can tell when there's um, hurt feelings or curt words and, um, it really does impact them. I think, Kat, do you, would you, what would you add to that? Yeah. I mean, kids tend to blame themselves for things because that's just how they operate. You know, their worldview is that they are kind of the center of everything. And so, um, when parents are not getting along, um, or there are problems in the household, you'll find kids trying to, um, make their parents get along better or um, developing these belief systems that like if they just do this then things will be better with their parents or um, they sort of take it on themselves because it gives them a feeling of control even though it really you know doesn't have much to do with them there's not not much that 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 about the relationship that's really in their control, um, it, but it yeah. definitely ratchets up their stress. And it's important to know too that this is how we develop tendencies that we carry into adulthood. Um, we, if you are a people pleaser, um, if you are conflict avoidant, um, it probably has something to do with how you witnessed conflict unfold in your home. Did you feel like you were safe to express your emotions or was it safer to hide them? Um, is conflict something that really scares you because you watched, you know, big loud fights unfold. So um, it, it's, you know, and this is why it's important in couples therapy to really get a sense of who the individuals are and what they did experience as children um, mm -hmm. so that we can help them unpack their emotions around conflict and how they repair conflict. Yeah, I work with a lot of um, adults doing various different kinds of trauma therapy. And, you know, it, it does go back to childhood. It's where, yeah, like you're saying, McKenna, um, where these patterns are formed, these negative self-beliefs about ourselves, right? I should have done more, right? You know, I should have taken care of mom or I should have protected her from dad or, you know, whatever it was. Or, yeah, my needs aren't as important as meeting the needs of my parents or others because, you know, I'm not being paid attention to right now. I'm having to get my own snack or whatever it is. So then they grow up and exactly, they feel these same things growing, you know, in their um, romantic relationships, right? I can't ask for my needs to be met. I'm burdened in some sort of way. I have to fix everything, right? And I'll also say too, we work on a lot of memories around that time my parents were fighting when I was three years old and hiding in a closet. This stuff Absolutely. sticks with you. So um, yeah, this definitely um, is a thing and, want, and just another reason why um, couples, especially couples with children um, should come to couples therapy. And, you know, one thing I hear sometimes is, um, I never, ever saw my parents fight. Mm -hmm. um, I never mm -hmm. saw any conflict in my home at all. And that's not also not always a good thing. Right. Um, so because we all need a healthy example of what, I mean, conflict is a part of life. So um, mm -hmm. we need to see what it looks like when people disagree and find a way to work it out and repair that. Um, and so, that's, so it's not to say that there should never be any kind of disagreement around kids or, you know, that if, if we do have an argument, that there's not a way to um, do a repair and show kids that it can be okay. 
to disagree yeah. or to have to, you know. It's so interesting, Kat. I feel sometimes I wind up talking with clients about, um, you know, we are so comfortable in our conflict with our children sometimes, or we think we're hiding it. But what we leave out is um, having them participate in the repair part um, and really modeling that idea that conflict is inevitable, but it's what we do with it. It's how we fix it and how we repair it. And guiding them through what that process looks like um, to complete that cycle uh, is such a skill that I think is often overlooked or not even thought of um, with parents. Right, it's like taken behind closed doors or. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I will ask another one here. Um, How do I tell my friends and family we are in couples therapy? Will they judge me? Will they judge our relationship? you know, formulate ideas about how things are going at home, you know, how do we um, answer that one? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I can start with that. Um, You, you know, it's so interesting. I think, as is the case with mental health in general, um, we are just finally now thankfully getting to a place in our history where it's becoming more commonplace to talk about these sorts of challenges. Um, And you might be surprised when you tell your friends and family, you, you know, they, that you may discover that they've been thinking about reaching out for help in their own relationship. And um, you've just now normalized this experience for them, or um, you've become a resource for them. They might have questions for you. Or, you know, again, back to like our children who are really aware of our relationship challenges, our friends and family are too. And oftentimes the people that are closest to us have seen that our relationship has been in struggle Um, And maybe they've been really uncomfortable around our our relationship, but they haven't wanted to overstep their boundaries with you. Um, And so they might be really happy for you, um, you know, but on the other hand, uh, therapy is very challenging and private. And so I would just caution that if you do choose to share with your friends and family that you have decided to go into couples therapy, that you share that information Um, you know, with the people that you feel will be supportive of you and not add more challenges to the experience for you. Um, And, you know, something that you can do is when you choose to disclose is just be really open and say, you know, this is an important process for me. Um, I really need your compassion at this time. Um, And I'm sharing this with you because I need you to help me, you know, stay, you know, aligned with my goals or whatever the reason is that you are choosing to disclose. Um, But, you know, ultimately, whether or not you do decide to disclose, it's just important to remember too that your therapist will never disclose your, your therapeutic relationship. So if you would like it to stay private, it will always stay private unless you otherwise decide. Great answer. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, let's do another one. Um, Does my therapist go to therapy? Um, I think that I will answer that one. Um, so that is a really great question. And so, you know, when you think about therapy as a profession, right, we do, we do, um, we enjoy helping, we enjoy guiding you in your journey, being with you in your journey, right? But we also hear some hard things um, that, you know, is helpful to talk to our own therapist about if we need to, but we're also humans, we have our own stuff, right? We, we're not 
<laughs> you know, we don't have it all together just because we're therapists, right? So we have our things that we need to work on. I think anyone should be in therapy, right? Regardless if things are going good or bad. Um, but in particular, I think it is really important for therapists to have a therapist. Um, so yeah. I can say I do if that helps the listeners. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of folks don't realize that when we are training to become therapists, it's actually a requirement of us to go to therapy too. Um, and to your point, Michelle, we're all humans with our own stuff. Um, the process of going through therapy, a, a, as, as you will discover yourself, if, when you go through therapy, is it really does increase your self-awareness. Um, it helps you to explore your own issues and for therapists, that's really important because we need to be super aware of our own blind spots and areas of struggle because we want to be really sure that when we sit down with our clients that we're not mixing up our stuff with your stuff. Mm -hmm. So the process of going through therapy and checking in with a therapist regularly for us, it just really helps us to stay, I think, more objective um, and have really nice, clear boundaries with our clients. Yeah. Great. Why would you want to go to someone who would ask you to do something that they haven't done themselves? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I don't meditate, you guys. So I, I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, the cat's out of the bag, Michelle. <laughs> that I'm is like, such I hope a this funny works one. for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just kidding. Meditating right now. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I think we <laughs> have time for one more question which one should we grab here let's see well how about will you diagnose us okay great i'll just add before um mm -hmm. you know somebody answers that i think yeah that that is a question that people come in with a lot right we're in therapy so then there must be you know something wrong with us are you going to give us some sort of mental health diagnosis but um yeah yeah mckenna do you want to mm -hmm. speak more to that one sure so you know diagnosis is such an interesting Thing. Um, so some context for people who don't know, there's this manual called the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And the idea is that it encompasses every mental illness. Um, but it, you can kind of think of it as this living, breathing document that gets updated and changed and things get put in and things get taken out. And we're always evolving our definition of diagnosis. So yes, um, oftentimes there will be a diagnosis, but Really, it's mostly for the purpose of billing your insurance, if you bill insurance. And for me personally, it's not something that comes up a lot in the room um, unless we're dealing with um, a person who is you know, in need of medication or who is having some really extreme symptoms. Um, it does, I think, you know, help some people to get a diagnosis. It might help them get some clarity around their experience. I can use like bipolar depression, for example, it might be really helpful for a person with bipolar depression to understand that's what they've been dealing with and go, okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And now we have a path forward. Um, but, you know, I just think because the DSM is always changing and because our um, conceptualization of people is always developing, you know, we don't ever want to, as therapists, box our clients into a set of symptoms on a checklist. And the reality is, is that the emotional experience of people is so much richer and so much more complex than just a simple diagnosis. Um, so, you know, I, I personally feel like I'm always trying to, you know, think of my client in, in a richer context than just simply a diagnosis. I love that. I think that's a great, 
way of explaining it. There's definitely, I think, a lot of ethics around diagnosing. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't we don't hand out. You know, we we are trained to diagnose, but we don't hand out diagnoses willy nilly. That's so. right. Yeah. See, you know, you you never want to stigmatize someone with a diagnosis, um, and it is something that I think we all take very seriously. Absolutely. Well, great. Um, This has been a really good episode. Obviously, we have more questions from our listeners around couples therapy. But again, give us anything. We'd love to do a show around your questions. So thank you for listening. Um, But yeah, if you're ready to take the next step in your relationship, schedule your 20-minute consultation at anchorlighttherapy.com. Get started. And Kat and McKenna, it was so great to have you here. Thank you so much for having us, Michelle. Great to be here. We're going to go meditate now. That's right. Yes. Well, I'll, I, I'll be home, but you too. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.